Hooey! Welcome to episode, I think we're on like 58 or something like that. We have the amazing Kent Clothier on here, guys. This is a legend, um, an absolute beast of a man, man of a beast. He doesn't know me that well. We talked for like five seconds at our mutual mastermind called Avengers, which is an amazing mastermind in and of itself. He's an amazing guy doing an insane amount of business. So Kent, thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate you being here. Dude, my pleasure. Glad to be here. 100%. So quickly for like the few people on here who don't know what's uh, your background or who you are, which is going to be nobody I already know, but just anyways, just for the podcast, quickly just give kind of a background of like what you're doing right now, what you're doing in real estate, <coughs> what you do in general. Yeah, I'm the um, CEO and founder of a group called The Boardroom Mastermind, which is um, for the last... I guess 12 years is kind of the premier mastermind in real estate space, very specifically. We've got about 250 members in there, uh, as well as the co-founder of the Avengers Mastermind, which you're a part of. Um, all of that kind of spawns out of, um, I have a real estate education company called Real Estate Worldwide that's helped about 60,000 people get involved in real estate over the last, oh God, 16 years. Um on top of that, we've got a very successful real estate investment company that my family owns and operates. It's uh, based out of Memphis, Tennessee called REI Nation, where we uh, buy and sell about 800 properties a year. Um, so we buy those properties, rehab those properties, put renters in place, and then sell that as a performing asset to investors all over the world. Um, like I said, do that about 800 times a year. Um, and then stay in place and manage those assets for them. So manage about 8,000 single family homes in 11 different markets. Uh, also Ooh. own about, um, own a lot of commercial, uh, multifamily self-storage, et cetera. And our variety of different investment funds that we've, that we've created over the years, raised about a $200 million over the last eight or so years, uh, to invest in as well. And so, yeah, we got a lot going on. I love it. That's so amazing. So guys, this is an amazing guy doing so much cool stuff. This is something I'm just curious about um, that I just immediately popped to my head. So I really want to ask it like, cause definitely you're at a point where it gets, I know there's gotta be some point and you're definitely at it where like the money it's not, it can't even be about making more money anymore. Right. Cause you said 8,000 single families, like commercial buildings, all sorts of cool stuff at this point. Right. So I would say I'm still at a level where I de it's definitely gives me more joy helping people out, but I still definitely am like, man, I could, I always, I always could still use more money, but I feel like you must be at a place where it's like, it's not even an afterthought. What motivates you to keep doing it after all of these years, why, what makes someone want to keep doing it? Not just be like, Hey, I'm good. I got my buildings. I can just relax, chill out, go to the Bahamas. What makes you want to keep doing well, it? I mean, keep educating, I'm, keep doing I'm still a human being, right? I still, um, I'm still an entrepreneur at heart. I'm still, a the father of, uh, three amazing kids, specifically two young daughters and and although I certainly could take my foot off the gas at any point, the reality of this is, is that they're watching. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you are trying, when you clearly understand that your kids will model your own behavior, um, the last thing I want them to see is um, 
entitlement in any way, shape or form. I mean, and so it's important to me that they see the grind. It's important that they see the struggle. It's important to me that they see um, continuing to try to mold and shape my own future that, you know, I didn't come this far to come this far, that I'm still want to mm-hmm. take on the world, that I still want to try to become better than I was yesterday. And, and I feel like if you can instill that, you know, if you demonstrate that and then you instill that in them and, and, you know, uh, undoubtedly my kids will likely be, you know, even better at it than I am, but certainly they are gaining the knowledge and the, the characteristics and the strategies and the tactics of how, to be a good human being by modeling exactly what me and my wife do every day. And that's, you know, we go out there and try to create impact in the world any way we can. I love it. Awesome. Cool. So I'm going to start with a question that I always like starting off with, because the name of this podcast is Scorch the Fears. So it's all about like figuring out, all right, we want to look at the greats and we want to see like, okay, like looking at someone like you, a lot of people, I already know this when I was looking at my original mentor and Jamil Damji and being like, man, that is a tall freaking mountain to climb to get to, to be able to like own that much single family, own that much commercial, do doing flips, everything, right? Um, so going back to Kent, right when he was starting, when he, right when he was starting in real estate investing, like what were his greatest fears? Like what was he dealing with in order to um, like be able to get into this world? And how did you eventually overcome those? Well, you know, I came into real estate in a very specific way, right? So I had built from 17 to 30, I had built, uh, along with many others that helped me and and played a significant role. um, I had been a a product of building a business from 17 to 30 that ultimately, by the time I was 30, was doing $1.8 billion a year in sales. And was the seventh largest privately held company in the state of Florida. I'm sitting on top of that mountain and suddenly uh, got into a run-in with my partners and walked out of there on March 14th of 2000 Mm -hmm. and spent the next two years burning uh, everything to the ground by by basically believing I was bigger and better than I was and trying to go and start a competing company and Mm -hmm. going after my partners and suing each other and just making bad financial decisions along the way and and a lot of money going to attorneys and all that kind of stuff. And so um, over a 22 month period, I lost everything I'd ever, ever built. And so when you get into a place of desperation, it doesn't feel like it when you're in it, but there's something extremely liberating when you are all the way down as low as you can go, because you realize there's only one place to go and that's up. And, you know, I basically had my back against the wall. I went to a real estate seminar. I, I, mm-hmm. um, bought a course on how to wholesale. I did not trust any of my decisions because I made right. so many bad decisions. And so my biggest fear at that point was just being wrong again. Um, and so, right. you know, 22 months of bad decisions, you know, here I am in, I, I just didn't trust myself, but the desperation uh, of having to make it work um, was extremely liberating because, hmm. you know, if you if you remember the story of Hernando Cortez, <coughs> who sailed into the new world on behalf of Spain, and we arrived on the shores of Central America to go and try to get the gold from the, um, the natives, he arrived on the shore and burned the boats of all of his, you know, uh, of his entire fleet and told his, 
soldiers that the only way they were going home was to go get the gold. If they right. got the gold, they can turn around and build new ships and go home. And I think there's, you know, that that we've all heard that that analogy in the past, but I think it's very true. Like when you have no place to go, uh, fear is 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 just a, a concept um, that that the that us as humans buy into, right? I mean, our brain literally has one function: just don't die. It is constantly at a very subconscious level and sometimes conscious level. We are always looking for the worst case scenario. And many, many times, certainly in business, we paint this picture of what we believe we should be fearful of when the reality of it is, you know, when you put when your back's against the wall and you have to make money or you have to figure out how to not die or you have to figure out how to survive a lot of that fear just goes away and you were like, mm. I don't have a choice. I have to do what right. I have to do. And I think that, that, so for me, it might personally, my journey was, I just need to make this work. I need to go make right. some work. And once I made, you know, got that first check, um, I got over the shock that it actually had happened and that everything I had just learned that seemed so insurmountable was trivial at best. Um, I started believing in myself, creating a little momentum and then start doing more and more and more of it. And that exercising that muscle constantly of, if you're afraid of it, go after it. If you're afraid of it, you know, go after it, um, has turned out to be extremely profitable for me in every imaginable way in my life. But, you know, at the end of the day, I was not thinking about building an empire. I was just thinking about stop being broke, stop acting like, a right. victim, take control. Right. And also, like, this is something that I've heard from people who've done, who like kind of went into what you were just talking about, where they had a successful business. It, it Was that not real estate related whatsoever? The business no, had nothing to do with real estate. It was in groceries. Gotcha. Gotcha. And so I've heard that a lot where like people, when they like fail in the business, the second time around is it's not only that you're desperate, but it's also that it's like, like you had to, you had to go through hell because you had it all, all, and then you lost it. And then to restart again, can you talk just because I've heard, I know a lot of people or people have talked to me about problems with partners, right? And I kind of want to talk about ways that maybe some people can learn from your mistakes of with the first business, the, the grocery business, and how, how did the problem start? And what do you think? Was there any way to oh, have you know, look ra rather than talk about that, let me just talk about all the partnerships over the last 35 mm -hmm. years in business. Right. And so sure. The biggest lessons I can share with anybody as it relates to partnerships specifically is rather than get into the drama of how this or happened, that happened. The bottom line is what was the what was the lesson that was learned yeah. so that, that you can benefit from it? And the lessons that are learned are exactly. two things I would tell you. You never partner with anybody out of convenience. You always partner with somebody who is complementing your weaknesses. And so for me, in every relationship that I'm in, certainly from a business standpoint, I am the visionary, right? I am the alpha. I am the guy. I'm I'm the one that, you know, my personality type is I'm going to drive the business forward. I'm the one that uh, has the big vision. I'm the one who understands what the addressable market is. I understand what we're trying to accomplish, et cetera. And I have a good working knowledge of how to solve the problems or address the challenges that are going to inevitably come. 
-hmm. what I'm looking for in a partner that is, is somebody or multiple somebodies that are complimenting me uh, and addressing the challenges that are that are there in front of me. So that might be money partners, that might be operations partners, that might be technical partners, that might be market, uh, somebody who is offsetting areas that uh, that are weak areas for me that are not my prime focus, my prime strength. They, you know, if you think about um, in an organization, a chief operating officer versus a CEO, a chief operating right. officer or a chief financial officer. These are people who, you know, in my experience are, are traditionally, you know, the math is much more in system, the systems, the processes, the outcome, how do we systematize? These are things that they have a very engineering type mind. They, they're all about the problem solving and they're all about the implementation of the solution. Um, the very thing that, although I have a, an amazingly healthy relationship and understanding of that, the reality of it is, is I don't want to do that, right? Just like they right. don't want to be out in front, leading, taking all the shots, being a public persona, driving, driving the vision, trying to understand what the, they don't want any of that. They just want, Hey, get in this. And so we complement each other very, very well. And so you always put partnerships together where somebody is, is offsetting your weak areas. Never do you part, put partners together where you have two visionaries or two operators. Right. Or two finance, that just doesn't work um, in my experience. <clears throat> Equally, it's always you have to look at uh, partnerships in that the sum of the parts equals something greater than what, what's going on. So one and one does not equal two. That is not a good partnership. Hmm. One and one must equal three or four or five or 10 with, with your, with the fuel you've got and the fuel I've got combined, these, this thing forms a much bigger whole, um, the sum of it does than, than us, if we were operating independently, that's extremely important. And you have to be careful of seducing yourself and, and, and thinking that's going to happen. You literally have to be able to, uh, like if you were sitting in a, in a room with me or a business mentor or somebody else, if you can't logically defend it and say that I know this is this is going to happen and this is why, then you have no business doing it. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you would defend it through emotion, hey, you know what? I just like Jonah. He likes me. Hey, let's just go do this stuff together. And I just think this is all going to happen. That is you seducing yourself into an outcome, right? You're not you, you can't logically defend it. If you can basically come in there and say, hey, he's got this amazing CRM program and that, that has 10,000 users and Kent, you have this amazing reach that if we combine this together, Kent, you can bring your audience here and suddenly now that 10 goes to 20 or 30 or 40. That's a good partnership. Now all of a sudden we got something. And so you have to look at it that way. The third thing I will tell you is that when you enter into a partnership, most beneficial things you could ever do is get divorced before you get married. Ooh, what does that mean? Is to That's lay out exactly what it would look like if the partnership fell apart. Mm. Um, and do it before the a partnership. Prenup. You got it. Do it before the partnership exists. Love it. Because no different than marriage. Um, not all businesses, in fact, most businesses fail. Um, and so clearly outlining what happens if a business fails time and time again, this has been proven to be very true for us, is that when we have a very clear operating agreement, a very clear shareholder agreement, a very clear bylaws of the company, we now understand all the rules of the game. And so if you know the partnership exists and Kent goes off and 
loses his mind, right? Suddenly, you know, Kent is going through a divorce or he develops a drinking problem or whatever, right? And he kind of loses right. it a little bit and checks out of the business. It clearly says in the in the operating agreement, if this happens, this is how we would get Kent out of the business fairly. And so I'm not, as Kent's partner, I'm not having to deal with all of Kent's emotional baggage. I'm not trying to negotiate all that stuff while all the emotions are high. Mm -hmm. It says, and we all signed it day one, this is how that would get handled. And therefore it takes all the pressure off. None I of like the commitment gets built up by one partner or another. Oh man, I'm sitting here and we're supposed to be 50, 50 partners and I'm doing all the work and he's taking mm -hmm. half of it home. All that goes away, which makes for a healthy partnership. I really like it. I really like that answer in a lot. And like, you're hundred percent, right? Everything I always see is the first one, especially if they're like newer, it's just like, Hey, you're my, you've been my best friend since kindergarten. Like, of course you'd make a great partner. We make great friends. Right. But I a hundred percent agree in the sense that really guys, you got to be focusing on like, what are they able to do? Are they able to freaking like actually compliment you and like are you able to actually make it like my one business partner is for the crm i'm making for direct to agent outreach because i haven't seen any crms like that but i have a partner in that and the fact that he's such a good integrator and i'm such a good visionary it actually works um and it's not even it's not like based off of the fact i knew them since i was like a little kid even though there are friends of mine who want to start businesses with me because they see how successful i am and i'm like no you're gonna you're not dedicated to it. And also you're not bringing really anything to the table. Um, so I really, I love that. That's like yeah, an absolutely. awesome answer and it's true. Um, and then in terms of, so how, so basically you answered this for sure, but this is like an interesting thing where I've heard different answers for different people on, do you think everyone, if they're struggling, should burn the, the boats? I feel like there's a certain type of person who can handle that. And then there are some people who would like shut down or what's I know you're in the education space. So what do you what would you recommend? To here's what here's what I know to be true. The people that should burn the boats. Should entertain they should understand what their potential is before burning the boats, right? And so mm -hmm. a very healthy, although morbid, but a very healthy exercise to do to yourself is that, you know, I have two young daughters. <coughs> and here's what I know to be true, is that if somebody had a gun to the head of my two daughters right now, and they said, Kent, your business, let's just say my business was doing $100,000 a month. If they pointed a gun at my kids' heads and said, your business must do a million dollars this month or we're going to kill your kids. And again, morbid thought, but it, you'll, you'll trust me here. Mm. Um, that circumstance would change what I believed my potential would be immediately. Interesting. Because what would happen, and the same is true of anybody watching this, is one thing's for sure, we would do a million dollars. Right. In that business. Which means that the business certainly has the potential to do a million dollars a month, but in the day-to-day -day operations, um, 
It's just not a priority for me. Right. Under the right circumstances, under the right prioritization, under the right situation, the business has the potential to do a million dollars. And as I'm admitting in that scenario, it is just based off of my effort, my intention, my drive. In other words, if, if the circumstances were right and the situation was as hardcore as that, I know for a fact that I would produce that outcome. And if mm. that's true under those situations, under that circumstance, then it is also true in every circumstance. Right. Which clearly means the only thing preventing me from a hundred thousand to a million is effort, is circumstances, is focus, is all the thing is intention. And if that's true, then I believe I have a responsibility to move as hard and as fast as I can acting like that has to happen in 30 days and I have to do it every day. Right. And when you go through a mental kind of, you know, screw job on your head like that um, and you're honest with yourself, like everybody watching this, if you knew you were going to die in a year, the things that you think are important today just wouldn't be. Period. I mean, we worry about trivial crap all day long and True. because we think we're going to live forever. The reality of it is, is that if you knew you were going to die in a year, there are for sure things that you are prior, that you are pushing around, whether it's hanging out with my family or whether it's, you know, getting this business that'll take care of my family for the rest of the, there's all kinds of things that we shove around in our lives believing that we have time on our hands. In other words, the circumstances, the situation is not extreme enough for us to actually focus. And if you, if that is true, you have a responsibility to change it, right? Because time's not promised to anybody. Mm -hmm. And if you have that potential locked up inside of you, if you have that opportunity locked up inside of you, then yes, I do believe in you know many cases that burning the boats, forcing your hand, pushing yourself into a direction where you have no options brings the best out of you. And bring right. it allows you to actually realize what your what your potential really is. As long as you always believe that time is coming, I'll get to it next week, next month, next year. Uh, you know, I can keep one foot over here, and I don't really have to take any risk. As long as you're in that situation, you are literally robbing yourself of your full potential. Gotcha. That no, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, like, I, I mean, I don't have children yet, but even me thinking about like if someone told me I have to. I have to make a million dollars or my parents are going to die. I would figure a way out. I'd do something like I. So, so what you're out. acknowledging there, Joan, just think about it. Right. And this is great for everybody. We get trapped believing that it is a lack of resources. This is the nonsense we tell ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I don't have the, the, the money or I don't have the, the, the knowledge or I don't have the contacts or I don't have the, the money to go spend and go create that. that. That's the stuff we tell ourselves to keep ourselves trapped. Oh, I need the, the W2 job for the insurance. None of that is true because if somebody was going to do that to your parents, then it isn't about resources. It's about resourcefulness, mm -hmm. right? You would right. do whatever it took. And if you believe that is locked up inside of you, at some level, like I actually have the potential to go do this. I'm the right circumstances. I could totally do this. Then I would argue you have a responsibility to go do it because it's still true. Why is it not happening? That's on you. That's effort. That's just not being resourceful. That's just not tapping into your full potential. Right.
No, I 100% agree with that. That's a very interesting way of thinking about it in the sense of I've heard it I've heard of similar things about like if you died tomorrow, but like it puts it even more of a different perspective when it's about somebody you love. I don't know why. It's weird about that like how it's if it's somebody else, it's even worse than if it was just myself. But no, I love that. Would you is that do you do that a lot or did you do it more when you were just I do it all the time. Doing it when, Okay. No, I do it all the time. I mean, I basically sit down and I ask myself, under the right circumstances, you know, this business has, for instance, we have a, a business that we just recently purchased and, you know, my guys are laying out what, what's going to take place over the next five years. And I'm like, what would happen if we had to do it in a year? If we had to accomplish everything you just laid out for me over the next five years, what would happen if we had to do it in the next 11 months? Hmm. How could we make that happen? What happened if... And what that it forces that compression into the business of it is possible. Again, the world is filled with examples over and over and over again who people who, uh, who accomplished amazing things because their head, their you know, their brain was not limited to what other people believe what something that was reasonable. I don't see right. the point in being reasonable. I see the point in being in a hurry. Uh, I want to get everything I can as fast as I can. And I live in that fear of regret every day. I have no fear of failure. I absolutely have a fear of regret. Mm -hmm. If I could have done it, if I can do it, I don't want anything to be locked up inside of me at all. And, you know, that, that I think is a really, really healthy thing to do because when you apply that pressure, you be shocked at what, you know, if you've ever read David Goggins book, Can't Hurt Me, he talks about um, that most of us from physical challenges, when our brain are, is telling us, stop, 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 our body can go, it, we still got at least 40% left in the tank, if not more. Our brain is just trying to tell you, don't die, be safe, you know, play it safe. And it, whether it's physical or whether it's financial or whether it's, it's always doing that to us. And the reality is, is we've got a lot more in the tank, a lot more in the tank mm -hmm. if you just tap into it. I love that. That's super awesome. Like it's it's such a good lesson in the sense of you could you always could do more. You just if you reframed it right, like I I definitely can see myself. I've seen myself falling victim to that last year where I was like I was going to I was like, I'm going to make a million this year. That's what's going to happen. And I got just short of it. And I definitely, if I had put it in that perspective, I would have figured out different ways of doing it. But that, that even if it meant staying up later or like, like doing things that even if I, that I did also didn't want to do, I like that perspective is what I'm trying to say. I like that mind exercise. Um, so I want to keep going into your story. So you burn the bridges, right? You burn, you burn the boats, burn the bridges, everything. You get your first wholesale deal that gives you a proof of concept. And then, so what, what happens next? What's the next step in your, in the real estate journey? You, um, you know, unleash the, unleash the dragons, if you will. Right. So immediately I understood I could do it. Um, you know, you have to appreciate the way the, the, the human mind actually works the way we actually all make decisions, right? We, 
we make decisions based off of what we believe our potential is. And so we believe we have a lot of potential, then we will take actions up to that potential that we believe, and then it will give us results. <coughs> and then that results will reinforce our beliefs. And so then we believe we have more potential and we just start going around and that momentum starts creating. So once I did one deal, why can't I do two? Why can't I do four? Why can't I do 10? And then the course of 18 months, I did, you know, 91 deals made over a million dollars. And that really reinforced uh, the belief that I could totally do this. And then quickly, um, you know, I'm getting newly remarried. I got a new little girl on the way and I'm figuring out that I own a job. I don't own a business. The entire business is me. If I don't show up, if I don't do this, then we don't get paid. And so I became extremely passionate about putting in all the systems and processes that I'd helped to develop in the my previous business venture in the grocery industry. And so started putting the people in, the leverage, the tech, all these things that this industry had never seen before, um, just looking for the most elegant and simple solution to the problem. And suddenly we were flipping 200, 300 houses a year. And we were doing this in the middle of the Great Recession. So as the world is melting to the mm, ground, that's interesting. Um, our business is blowing up and a lot of people, uh, a lot of um, thought leaders in the industry were like, what is this guy doing down in South Florida? I'm like, you know, how's this guy doing this? And suddenly started reaching out to me, asking me would I come and teach their groups and would I talk on stage, all this stuff that I'd never done before. And so, you know, within a matter of a few short years, suddenly I'm on stages and I'm telling people, oh, this is how I'm doing this. Here's this unique strategy I'm using to do this wholesaling business at scale. Most people are doing two to 10 deals a year. We're doing 300 deals a year and nobody had ever seen anything like it in the wholesaling industry. And so, mm-hmm. um, before I knew it, people were, you know, wasn't just speaking on stage. People were asking me, Hey, can you put together a training? Hey, can you automate this process and put software in place? And before you know it, now I'm in a software business and now I'm in this education business. And now, you know, I've got all this other things that are spinning out, but none of it was the intention. The intention mm-hmm. was just don't be broke, right? Just right. stop, stop being a victim, but you know, success leads and breeds other successes. And so once, um, those things started happening, you know, you fast forward to now, like I said, I mean, that we have a education company that's been around for a long time, educated tens of thousands of people, tens of thousands of families that I know are better off because of the skills we taught them. Um, software companies has tens of thousands of users that take a very, you know, we were the very first data product in the space because it didn't exist. We created it from the ground up because this is what I was doing in my own business. Um, you don't know, you know, as, as Steve Jobs says in his Stanford commencement address, and if you've never watched it, go watch it on YouTube. You know, you cannot connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking back. I wasn't looking forward saying, I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this. The reality was, is I was just going. And right. then I look back at it and say, oh, yeah, well, that's when that happened. And that's when that happened. No, that was that decision right there. I had no idea that was going to, you know, I didn't, I didn't know any of that going forward. It was just keep going. I love it. I love that so much. So I'm really curious because I heard, I mean, I was really young in 2008, but I heard like literally the world was falling apart, right? Like literally, especially for real estate, everyone was freaking out, flying out to be doing flipping, especially because I keep hearing from people 
stop flipping. Don't do flipping right now because, I mean, it's, I don't know if it's going to be as bad as 2008, but we're heading into a recession of sorts, right? So what, um, like, what, how did you tune out the world? Or what, well, to be like, clear, I wasn't flipping. I was wholesaling. Oh, wholesaling. Right? Right. Wholesaling is where you are going and putting a property under contract and then you are assigning your interest in that contract to somebody else. I was flipping paper. Right, right, right. So, um, Less risky. Which, which there's no risk, right? There's literally right. zero risk in that deal. Yeah, 100%. And so, um, you know, the flipping in my life became much, much later. Um, but at that particular point, what I had done, and I still do today, and I still teach people to do today, is that that I, in my grocery business, um, I had developed a technique called reverse wholesaling, which is not, it's just a fancy name. The reality of it is, is all we were doing is we were going off and in the grocery industry, I was just talking to our customers and saying, if I could sell you anything at any price delivered in any city on any day, what do you want to buy from me? And then by virtue of that, I was basically building a database of all the things that I knew my customers would buy on the regular and the price they would pay. And so right. now my job was just to go reverse engineer all right. If they want to buy it for $50 a case, I want to, I need to go buy it for $35 a case. I need to pay for the shipping and deliver it to them for 50 bucks. I can make the money. Well, the exact same thing is what we put in real estate. Hmm. We went out and found all the cash buyers in every market that we were in and said, if I could sell you anything at my cash buyers don't need banks. So while all the, you know, the financial crisis was happening, that was a credit driven crisis. It was 100% bank driven. So if you needed a mortgage, if you needed a bank, you couldn't buy because that was over. Right. But if you were just buying for cash, which 40% of the market was, they were buying up everything. And so I was like, if I could sell you anything in any neighborhood at any price, close on any day, what what do you want to buy? You know, Tell me mm -hmm. exactly what it is. How many bedrooms, how many baths, year built, square footage? What is your appetite for rehab? You know, All that stuff. And then reverse engineer, okay. This guy wants to buy 25 houses in that zip code. He wants to pay $200,000 each, three bedroom, two bath, built after the year 1979, you know, everything. And then I would just go center all of my marketing on those exact properties that fit that. And I would mm -hmm. go right after the sellers that I knew were in distress because distress never takes a day off. It happens in every market. It does not care about an up market, down market, recession, no recession, right. doesn't care. People still go through People still die. They can still go through divorce. They still go through foreclosure, bankruptcy, you know, inherited properties, loss of job. You name it. That happens every single day. And so, and by the way, almost every one of those things I just mentioned are public record. Mm -hmm. If you file for divorce, it's public. If you go through bankruptcy, it's a public record. Death, public record. Foreclosure, public record, right? Loss of job, you file for unemployment, public record. When, when you realize that the data exists, you can literally say, okay, in that neighborhood, who are the people that are going through distress? And let me go talk to them and see if I can help them get out of their situation. Go make them an offer on their house. I would go get it under contract and then I would turn around. Nothing predatory, just mark it up 10000 15000 and flip my interest in the contract to the cash buyer. And that little delta there was my profit. And I love it. you look up and before you know it, you go do that 
several hundred times a year and you're making a ton of money. I love it. So getting into some real estate stuff, would that be the strategy you recommend right now for wholesalers yes. is basically yes. keep wholesaling and that's like the best strategy you could possibly Avoid risk. Do. There's no reason to take on any risk in a climate like this because nobody has a crystal ball. Right. And the people that are buying, and there's a lot of people buying, and there's a lot of people paying all cash right now. Those are the people who have extraordinarily deep pockets, and they have a much uh, longer view of the market. They're playing the long game. You know, most right. real estate investors play the short game. Hey, if I can flip it in a year, I can make X, Y, Z. You know, institutions and cash buyers, they have a 10, 20, 30-year timeline, if not longer. Mm. And so their appetite is they just don't look at it the same way that, that we look at it. They're looking at it, if, if I can pick up, if an asset is worth half a million dollars today and I can pick it up for $400,000 and Kent picked it up for three seventy-five, I know, historically speaking, that over the course of the next 30 years, that $400,000 asset is going to triple in value. It, all the data points that that will happen over a 30-year period. And so they're just playing a different game. Right. I love it. So sounds like the two strategies are either be the cash buyer, which most people on air can't be, or just stick to wholesaling, keep it simple, no risk. You're going to get, you're probably going to get screwed or you might not be, but like, it's going to be a lot harder to do like the flipping and the shorter term stuff right now. It's just Unless you have a ton of experience in flipping houses and you have a war chest of money, which allows you that if and when, because you win, you will make a mistake, you can stomach it, then don't. Just right. don't do it. Now, there are guys, you know, think about it. We're, we, we rehab houses now. We're, we haven't stopped. Um, but we have a machine. We have hundreds of millions of dollars behind us, right? And we can afford to go make a mistake. And it's okay. It's not going to take us out of business. But, you know, if, you, if your business is I... I flip 10 houses a year and, um, you know, my average margin on those houses has historically been $50,000 each. Right. Well, you know, you're a, you're a, a whisper away from making a really bad mistake uh, on a six, $700,000 house. You know, the market corrects 10%, you're suddenly in the red. And right. if that happens 10 times, you're out of business. And so just don't, there's no reason to do that. Right. 100%. I love it. So now I'm just kind of curious, what's, what's your strategy right now? Is it mainly like, are you like going to keep flipping? Are you going to keep doing, or are you going to increase the wholesaling? Are you going to increase the cash buying? Um, All of it. What I mean, we, we, we are, you know, we're in a very different situation than we were back then. Right. So, mm -hmm. so we are, our business runs, I mean, we'll buy 80 to hundred houses this month. We'll rehab them and we'll sell them. And our, our strategy really hasn't changed. Our buying criteria might have tightened up. We're, we are playing, understanding that we're we're baking in if the market goes down ten or fifteen percent. So that right. you know, buy it smarter. Um, we're still wholesaling, you know, thirty to forty houses a month. Um, in my funds, we are buying multifamily. We are buying industrial. We are buying RV parks. We are buying self storage. Uh, things that are traditionally recession resilient, um, and so. You know, when you get to a certain level, you can afford to be a lot more strategic with what you're doing. And you understand that these are the times where, where real wealth is created. If you're a brand new investor and you've been doing it less than five years or even in the last 10 years, you uh, you have never seen anything but up and to the right. 
Right? Yeah. If you got into this business after 2012, you have no idea what the hell I'm even talking about, right? Because it's always gone up. Um, but I can assure you, 99% of the people that have come in the last 10 years are nowhere near as good as they think they are. And they're right. going to get tested. And if they don't pivot and they don't understand that and they kind of buy into their own BS, it isn't a matter of if they're going to get hurt. It's just a matter of when. And it can be quite painful. Right. 100%. So I kind of want to pivot right now into your experience with the education space. And because this is something that's also been asked of me. And I, I find I love asking people who are educators this question of, when should when do you think somebody should get a mentor? Like when should somebody sign up for a program? Is it after the first deal or is it like is it for certain people never? Is it for certain people ever? What's your opinion on mentorships and coaching and stuff like that and when you should do them? Always. Always. I mean, the reality of it is um if you think of it like this. Um you know, everybody here owns a car and there are a few people who are probably watching this that have the skill sets and the and the desire to go fix their own car right but that's very few of us mm -hmm. i'm not one of them um and you certainly if you just absolutely had to can probably break out the owner's manual or go look up something online or go watch a youtube video if you had to go do something to fix your car. You certainly could do all that. Or like most of us do, we go take it over to the dealership and we pay a mechanic and we pay a few hundred dollars. And, you know, depending on what they have to do in a matter of an hour or a couple hours or whatever the case may be, it's done. And the dumb people look at that and like, oh my God, why would I pay somebody, you know, couple of hundred dollars. I could totally do this myself. I could do this on the weekend and pay you know, on a Saturday and a Sunday and blah, 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 blah. It's because they don't value their time. Mm -hmm. but what you're really paying for is not the time that somebody takes to do it, but the knowledge, the years of experience, the thousands of cars, the, the thousands of times they've, they've fixed that one thing, the knowledge and wisdom that they have to just go and, they, and even if it is as simple as pressing a button, resetting a switch, changing a, a, uh, a breaker, right. Or, or whatever it is, it's irrelevant. The point of it is, is you're paying for somebody's wisdom so that you don't have to. And the same is true of coaching and mentoring. When you look at a coach and mentor, you know, you're looking at somebody like me, I've been in business 35 years. Mm. Um, I have all the scars. Uh, it has not been cupcakes and rainbows for me for many, many of those years, you don't hire somebody like me as a mentor because of my success. You hire because of my failures, because I've taken right. the hits. I've taken the, I have the scars. I've taken all the battle wounds and I'm still here and I'm still growing. I'm still. And if you just want to get the result without having to go through all the hardship and all the wounds and all the scars and all the heartache and all the sleepless nights, just show me how to get the result faster then that is one of the best investments you could ever make because that collective wisdom, if somebody is willing to import it on you and say, you know, Jonah, rather than you go try to figure out wholesaling or try to figure out real estate investing on your own, how about we just go do this, go do this, go do this, talk to that person, use that system, pull that list, send that piece, have this conversation. Here it is. Do that and you will get a result that will reward you for $20,000 each time you do it. 
that's an amazing investment in yourself and in time. And, and the moment you acquire the skill, nobody can ever take it away from you. So it's true. Like literally like, here's the recipe and go. Because, you know, if you think about it, just because I go and throw eggs and flour and milk and salt and butter into a pan and I whip it all up and I go put it in the oven does not make it the most amazing cake you've ever had. Right. There are bakers, you know, wedding cakes and special cakes that make the most amazing cakes in the world. They get, they get thousands of dollars, not hundreds of dollars. For the, they have a special recipe. They have a special formula. They have a special technique. They understand how to do things that are very, very different. So many people, they get trapped in thinking, well, I know what to do. Well, you might have all the key ingredients. You just don't have the formula. But the moment you have the formula, you get to, to do whatever you want with it, that skill for the rest of your life. You, you cannot unlearn it. Being broke from that point forward is a choice. And imagine for a minute if you had the choice of whether or being broke or not. If you literally had the knowledge that I know I can go print, print money on demand. I'm not saying it's easy. But if somebody would tell you this, it's as simple as following these steps and you will create this outcome. That formula is extremely valuable. And that's what coaching and mentors do for you is not only to give you the formula, but then they hold your feet to the fire and hold you accountable to actually apply that knowledge and get the result yeah. and build the momentum. No, I love it. I mean, there's a quote that I always heard. I don't know who said it, but I've heard it on different podcasts of like, if you think the cost of education is expensive, look at the cost of like stupidity or something like that, like the cost of not having education because well, like the, that and I would even go further, brother, you know, because the, the, the world is filled with overeducated, broke people, hmm. right? People get trapped thinking this is about education. What happens with them is they and this is the reason I want to draw a line in the sand. Go for it. We live in a we live in a world where information is very is readily available. You can go watch YouTube videos. You can listen to podcasts like this. You can do all this stuff, right? Um, education is freely available. It is everywhere around us. And and if everybody took all that education and applied it, we'd be the world would be filled with nothing but millionaires. Literally. Right? The reality of it is, is education is not the key, right? Again, the world is filled with overeducated, broke people. It is equally filled with unbelievably dumb, dipshit, very wealthy people, right? Right. So it's not about education. It is about action. It is about applying the knowledge you gain and going. And that is what a coach and a mentor does for you is it's, is it's, the wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. there's, a, there's a big difference between, you know, information and intellect. Like my insight, my intellect, my wisdom is much more valuable than what you can go learn on a YouTube video. When I'm working with somebody like you, like one-on-one, -on -one, like and when I tell you what you should do right now in this scenario, that insight is much more valuable than information. Information, if you, could, if you could go take information and go do whatever you want to do with it, you would already be a multimillionaire if not, you know, again, the world would be filled with it. So it isn't about that. It's about the insight that you gain. And like, just do it this way. Here's the nuance. Here's this one context. Here's this one, whatever that is. That's what mentors do. And by the way, 
to this very day. I mean, I invest a great deal of money into um, my own mentors, my own training, my own masterminds. You know, I, I, I rub shoulders with some of the best and brightest in business at an extremely high level that continue to challenge me. So this never stops. There's, you know, show me a millionaire and I'll show you a frustrated billionaire. There's, there's always some level that you're trying to accomplish. And the easiest way to accomplish is get around the people who are, have already accomplished it. It's so true. Like in, in the sense of like Avengers was like the best financial decision I've ever made just from the fact of being around people, like so many different people at higher levels that it, it's not, it's like, literally I can ask any of you guys, any question you've dealt with it before. 100%. I don't think uh -huh. there's a problem at my level that you've never dealt with. I don't think it's possible at this point. Right. So it is insanely valuable. Like the mentorships and like, hey, the, and where um, people get trapped, is they, again, back to what I was telling you earlier, right? It's never a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. Right. And so, uh, uh, you know, I was telling somebody this a few years ago. I had I had an event and I, I have a friend here in La Jolla, California, where I live, and he owns a Ferrari dealership. And I knew I was going to do this. I was going to make a point, right? So I had this all set up. Um so I had an event, I don't know, there was like three or 400 people there. And I had uh, the car, a Ferrari, off to the side uh, of where everybody was sitting in the audience. And I had it completely covered. Nobody knew it was under it. And so I talked from the front of the stage and talked to them about uh, coming into our mastermind, into you know working with us, et cetera. And at that time, it was like $30,000 to, to join us, which is, you know, easily is a, is a big sum of money for people. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know, about 10% of the room signed up. And then basically the biggest objection from the rest of the room was clearly always is, well, I can't afford it. Right. Okay. Fair enough. And then I had them pull the curtain off of the, or the blanket, whatever it is, off of the car. And I then made a comment. I was like, hey, you know, my friend owns a Ferrari dealership down there. That's a, this is a... $400,000 car right here. Um, and I, I've got a very special surprise for you guys. What he has agreed to do is he has a hundred of these back at his lot. And for every single person that can bring me $30,000 within the next three hours, he will sell you that $400,000 car for 30 grand. Wow. And I said, how many of you believe you can go get that $30,000 right now? Literally 90% of the room throws their hands up. And I was like, everybody put your hands down. You just made my point. The way our brains work, if it's tangible, if it's right in front of us, right? Oh my God, I can buy this $450,000 car for $30,000. I can make 400 grand. I can make 300 grand, whatever it is, right? Right. We suddenly it excites our imagination and we're like, oh, my God, I can totally do this. This is going to be great. I just won the lottery. The moment you talk to them about, hey, give me $30,000 and I'll show you how to make $450,000 a year for the rest of your life. It's, oh, no, no, I can't afford to do that. Right. Because so they don't believe the, it's right. what it is. That's right. So it's all the what, what we believe is possible inside us. Everybody's naturally going for the. The quick hit, right? Versus learning a skill that could not only pay you four fifty, it could pay you four and a half million, it could pay you forty five million for the every year for the rest of your life. Is 
it's not a red car on four tires sitting in front of you. It's means you're going to have to do some stuff. And so it proves the point very, very visually. It's never a lack of resources. It's a lack of resourcefulness. Under the right circumstances, you'll get real, real resourceful. Wrong circumstances, you'll con yourself and seduce yourself and say, oh, I can't. Right. And you just have to get excited about what's going on. If you want to be better, you have to get excited about what that represents in your life. Because, man, I'm a redneck from Memphis, Tennessee. If, if anybody ever told me that I'd be living the life that I am right now, especially 20 years ago when I lost everything, I'd be like, you're absolutely crazy. There's no way. Hmm. Um, but if I can do it, anybody can do it. Man. It, it, it I'm, I'm as... I'm as big a dummy as anybody else out there, right? I barely graduated high school, but I do know that it is 100% possible if you get over the fear and get in the game and actually put yourself in a position to win. So when it comes to mentors, it comes to masterminds, it comes to training, it comes to, yeah, I get it. No joke. You know what? It is hard. It is a tough pill to swallow. What's the alternative? Being broke for the rest of your life? Trying right. to just bang it out and figure it out? Absolutely not. Right. 100%. No. Yeah. I was about to say, I mean, I think you answered it, but like, it's it, but I am curious, like, what do you think? It seems like, do you think there's anything else other than what you just said? Cause that seems like a very important point of what makes the difference between the successful people in real estate versus the unsuccessful people in your opinion, it definitely seems one you've been talking about it the entire time, whether you're just changing the mindset to make you realize that like, no, there's hundreds of people doing it around you, making tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars a month. What I'm just curious in, from what you've seen, what else, if anything, differentiates the people who make it versus the people who don't make it? Action. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's an insane amount of action and it's wildly imperfect. Most people that live in fear, especially newer investors, and I won't even say investors, newer entrepreneurs, period. Um, they somehow believe that you got to cross every T, dot every I. I got to go, oh, Kent, I got my LLC perfect. And I, you know, I got my new logo. And I, dude, I, I didn't have any of that when I started. Who cares? <laughs> None of that matters. It's completely irrelevant that imperfect action is the key, right? Done is better than perfect. You have to create momentum. You have to be in a place and you have to complete. Look, think of it like this. I think I used this example last this past weekend when, when we were talking is that, you know, imagine for a moment if I wanted to be an amazing MMA UFC fighter. And if I if I sat around and thought for a moment that I could educate myself to the point that I'm ready to fight, I could go and watch all the YouTube videos, listen to the podcast, read the books to the point where I just after consuming so much information that now I'm ready to fight. I would sound like a moron. At some point to become a great fighter, it is very clear what I have to do. I actually have to get in the ring. More importantly, in order to get in the ring, the one thing I cannot have is a fear of getting hit, a fear right. of getting choked out, a fear of getting breaking a bone or of getting bruised or, I mean, clearly, that is that is an unreasonable fear to have if I wanted to be a great fighter. It's just, it just part come, of it. It just comes with it. It's just part of it. Like you just, hey, man, I expect to get hit. I expect to get knocked out. I expect to break a bone. I expect to 
to expect all these things. And when all those things happen, I'm learning. And then I go back to my corner. I talk to my coach. I, I listen to what they say. And then I get back in there, do it again. And I just try to improve and improve and improve and improve and improve. And business is exactly the same way. Like at some point you cannot study your way into actually the game. You actually have to get in there. Mm-hmm. And when you get in there, you, the expectation needs to be just like in the ring. I expect to get hit. I expect to get knocked down. I expect it to be imperfect. I expect to get choked out. I expect to suffer. I expect to not have all the answers. And then I'm going to go back to my coach and they're going to tell me, okay, do this or do this or this. And I'm going to go back and do it again. And that's how champions are actually made. Champions are not made by avoiding conflict. They're not made by avoiding challenges. They're made by through challenges. And when that's what I see with newer entrepreneurs is they actually just don't expect to get hit. They're looking for perfection. Mm. When you go into this, it is pointless to live in fear of falling down. It is pointless to live in fear of, because literally the road to success, or I should say figuratively, but literally as well, the road to success is paved with failure. You get knocked down, you figure it out, and then you get back up. And sooner rather than later, success starts to come your way. And before you know it, you're sitting on a podcast 20 years later talking about, hey, I got knocked down a lot and I'm still here and I'm still good at it and I'm still moving. And all that wisdom that you gained along the way is actually the most valuable thing that you have to share. Like I, I love right that. Now. I love that so much because it's so true in the sense of I, it changed my perspective so much when I finally, when I, instead of thinking of it as, oh my God, I'm so scared that I'm going to get sued or uh, like I'm going to like do something wrong or like a deal is going to blow up. It's like it when it changed my mind of just being like, it is going to happen. If I'm going to become worth $500 million, I'm going to have to spend millions of dollars. I'm going to have to, things are going to happen. Deals are going to explode. That is a necessary part of it. Um, so I love the MMA analogy because it's true. You're going to get hit if you go into the ring. And of course. Entrepreneurship is and, like that. and you just expect it. And the exact same thing is in entrepreneurship. I just expect to get hit. I know when I walk in the door, something will have gone off the rails every week. And we're going to have to figure it out. And I've flexed that muscle so many times over the last 30 years that I just don't live in fear of it. But the only reason I have the muscle, the only reason I have the confidence is because I have gone through the challenges. Those challenges are the biggest strength you have. Overcoming them is the biggest strength you have. It is not a weakness. Is That wisdom is so valuable. I mean, look, when the 2008 crash happened. Yes, my investing business was going very, very well. But equally, I owned a company called 1-800-SELL-NOW, which was a branding company where investors paid me to use a vanity brand uh, and they licensed the brand from me, right? So, hey, if you need to sell your house now, call 1-800-SELL-NOW and their phone would ring, right? I had hundreds of people paying me to use this brand that we had built. And the television commercials rated, well, literally when the market collapsed overnight, no joke, in 24 hours, 90% 90% of my customers canceled overnight. I had 11 employees in that business. I had to fire them two weeks before Christmas. was mm. gut-wrenching, right, uh, for everybody involved, including me. And, the, my, you know, my employees are like my family. But the business was, you know, 
all the money was gone. It was like that. Like we're getting paid every month and you know, it's a cash flow business. And suddenly if nobody pays us, there is no revenue. There is no payroll. Right. And so, um, when that happened, I mean, it was, like I said, it was gut wrenching. It was, it was really hard, but because I had gone through what I had gone through six years earlier at my lowest point where I basically had lost everything. I had this weird calmness about my, about me. Like we can handle this. We will figure it out. We will get through it because I had learned that my, in my darkest hours, I could overcome it. And that gave me the strength that every time and every time since then, when something challenged, like there's a calmness that comes over. Like, I don't know what it looks like, but we're going to figure it out. We'll get it done. And then we just go to work, start chopping it down, just start figuring out how we're going to solve the problem. You cannot get that out of a book. You cannot get that out of a podcast. You cannot get that out of a YouTube video. There's only one yeah. way to get that. Get in the ring. Yeah, 100%. Kent, thank you so much. We're hitting the hour. Um, there's always one last question that I like ending it with. And that's if you were to go back to yourself right when you started in real estate or right when you started in business, what would you tell them now, knowing everything you know? Um with all the knowledge you know now, like what would you tell younger Ken? Um, collect moments, focus on what matters most, which is your family, your friends, your relationships, your health. Um, focus on the things that, that enrich your life and check your ego, check your pride, don't get so locked in to, you know, trying to have it all at 22 years old that create balance in your life to where, you know, you can actually, as I've now proven that the second phase of my life, you can have it all. And by all, I mean, you can have, you can be a present father. You can be a good husband. You can be a great friend. You can be a great son and a great brother. And you can be, you can motivate and inspire millions of people. And you can do all of that and have wildly successful businesses. You do not have to trade them off and you do not have to con yourself and pound on your chest and talk about nobody will outwork me, out hustle me, all the bullshit. The reality of this is, is that there are different versions of the best. And to me, the best means being the best human being. If I could go back, the mistakes I was making at that age were, I was all in. I was all in on business. 5 a.m., 8 o'clock at night, got there first, left there last. Nobody was, and I was being rewarded for that. And it was feeding into my ego, into my pride. This is, you know, I, my entire identity was wrapped up into it to the expense of my first marriage, to the expense um, of my relationship with my young son at the time. I just wasn't the guy that I'm very grateful that I got the second lease on life that I could become and had the opportunity to become the best version of myself. With that being said, I'll tell you. I wouldn't change anything because in order for me to be the guy I am today, back to what I was saying earlier, I had to evolve from that guy. You cannot appreciate the light without the dark. And sure. I look back, I'm extremely proud of what I did, but I definitely know I could have been better. And so when I got the second opportunity in life in my thirties, all the way now to my fifties, I'm much better for having gone through everything I've gone through. But if I had to impose some wisdom on there, it's like, dude, you can have it all. And this is how you do it. 
Love it. Awesome. My man, thank you so much for coming on. Is there anything you want for my audience to go to? Anything to plug? Any? No, not at all, man. Oh, I'm here for you. If anybody wants to reach out to me on Instagram, you can hit me up at, at Kent Clothier. Outside of that, um, man, always, always glad to glad to help. And I appreciate the time, man. Yeah. Thank you so much. Honestly, like I've been following you for a long time now and like I've enjoyed your content. I've loved it. It was cool seeing you at Avengers and talking for a minute. And truly, I appreciate you coming on. It was amazing time. You spat some wisdom. You gave me a few things to think about tonight. I really, I'm going to start doing the, um, what if my mom and dad had to die? Like if, what was it? Like if I didn't make a million dollars, what would happen if they Good. I have to make a million dollars. And if they yeah. die, if they don't, I'm going to start using that because that's a, that's a good motivator in the sense of like, no, it has to happen versus like if I want it to happen. So awesome. Thank you guys. Right, Thank brother. you so much, Ken. Peace. I appreciate it. Take We're care, out. Brother. Scorch the fears. Let's freaking go. Let's go.